heard. I want to reference a few points from that uh, just as I share for a few minutes this morning. I don't know if you remember a film, some of you are old enough to, uh, years ago called Trading Places with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. Not a high point of cinematic excellence, but a film nonetheless. Um, And the idea was this, that a city trader uh, swapped places with the down and out. And uh, that was how the story then unfolded. Um, I like watching a similar theme, but a slightly different emphasis. There's a program a few years ago, more recently, called The Undercover Boss. I don't know if you've ever seen this. But the idea that the boss goes into the company, and it's a real tearjerker, this one. They, pick, they get to know some employees, and they kind of, the underrated, understated employee, the boss finds out what a great job they're doing, and they, they look after them, and, oh, it's, you know, you sit there mopping your eyes. Well, I do anyway. Um, that sense of trading places, exchanging places. I think the cr- closest we get to it these days is people playing with this face swapping app that you see constantly, where you get two. You may not have seen this, but people with two f- two people side by side, and there's there's an app you can get which swaps faces, and the results are hideous, um, very scary, particularly when it's an adult with a beard and a small baby, because the little baby's got a beard then, and it's quite unusual. But this sense of trading places is very important. And I just want to draw out a few simple thoughts, really, from this pas- the passages that we've heard today about how Jesus changes places with us. Uh, firstly, he changes places with the priests. These are the people who should have known better. And at the beginning part of this story, we find the priests, and they're the ones who are rep- they should be representing God to the people and the people to God. But actually, they're appearing before Pilate, not before God. In the beginning part of this story, they're representing their case to Pilate, not before God. They're also accusing. They've come to accuse somebody before Pilate. And Jesus reinvents this role of the high priest. He restores it. And the Bible tells us that Jesus stands with the Father. He sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us on our behalf. That means that instead of going to accuse He sits to appeal. That's such a difference, isn't it? The priests pointing the finger and accusing, and Jesus sitting next to the Father and appealing for us, interceding for us. The priests are the ones who are meant to offer sacrifice, and Jesus, of course, offers himself as a sacrifice. Secondly, there's the judge, Pilate. Pontius Pilate. And in the story we read, uh, we don't read much about Pilate, but if you read the other historians who are around at the time, you can read all sorts of things about Pilate. We discover that he's ruthless and barbaric. He's got a very poor reputation. He's a very harsh man. He's, the historians at the time, Josephus, for example, recalls an incident where Pilate spent money from the temple to build an aqueduct. It's never going to go down well, that. Uh, particular uh, approach. But not only did he do that, he then got the people together. Um, the Jews came together to address him to complain, and he hid his own soldiers amongst the crowd. And as they were complaining, the soldiers turned and slaughtered the Jewish complainants. This is the kind of man Pilate was. On another, uh, Philo, another historian writing in the first century, describes Pilate as having vindictiveness and a furious temper. And he describes his governance as being one of corruption and acts of insolence. His habit of insulting people, his cruelty, and his continual murders of people, untried and uncondemned, 
and his never-ending, gratuitous, grievous inhumanity. These are not Christian authors writing, saying, boo, Pilate. These are historians of the time writing about this man who appears in the Gospels. Pilate's career would end after another slaughter when he himself was so offensive to the Roman hierarchy and Roman authorities, he was taken off to see Caesar. The only reason he was saved, perhaps from his own death at that point, was that on his journey back to Rome, Caesar died before he got there. But that ended his rule over Judea. This is an awful man, a dreadful man. A man, we don't see some of that in the gospel stories, but this is a harsh and vindictive judge dispensing whatever justice he wants to, whenever, whenever he wants, slaying whoever gets in his way, afraid of, his, of the hierarchy but not caring about the Jewish people, not caring about Jesus. The Bible, of course, presents Jesus as the just judge. The just judge, the one who will judge all the earth at the end of time. He's the one who will do all things well. And all things right. That where there has been injustice, it will be righted. That where there has been wrong, it will be put right. Jesus, the just and righteous judge of all the earth. But there's one person I want to really focus on. Where Jesus changes places with him. And he's not a priest. He's not a judge. This is Barabbas. And I've not really paid much attention to the figure of Barabbas in the story before preparing for today. He's always been a a bit player for me, just someone who occupies a bit of the scene and off he goes again. But I've been looking into this character of Barabbas a little bit more. And I noticed that Barabbas in this story is being cheered for. The crowds are chanting his name. Who do you want? Barabbas, they cry. Barabbas. And it was only a few days before that they were crying for Jesus. Hosanna. Hosanna, the crowds cried. Just be aware of the fickle nature of crowds. Just be aware, this is a kind of a slightly off the point, but just be aware if you're ever feeling like you're riding on the crest of exciting popular opinion, just beware, because crowds can change their opinions at any point. And Jesus here is the one who's now cried against, not cried for. Barabbas, (laughs) do you know what his name means? Literally, son of the father. Bar, son, Abba, father, son of the father. So we have, and in Matthew's gospel, he's actually called Jesus Barabbas. So we have in Matthew's gospel, if we read that account, Pilate asking, which Jesus do you want? Do you want Jesus, son of the father? Or do you want Jesus, the one who says he's the king of the Jews? And they cry, we want Jesus, son of the father. Barabbas, son of the father. Can you imagine being Jesus? And when they're crying out, who do do you want? And they're crying, son of the father, son of the father, son of the father. And Jesus is stood there. Who is he? He's the son of the father. The real son of the father. The real one who would show us the way to be with the father. And Barabbas can't do that. Barabbas has nothing to offer. And Jesus has everything to offer. And yet at this moment, he's trading places with Barabbas. Barabbas, the convicted murderer. Jesus, the one who stands, and no one's quite sure what they can accuse him of 
Nothing's sticking. No accusation will remain with Jesus. They can't pin anything on him. Barabbas stands in his own sin. Jesus stands innocent. Barabbas is about to be set free. His chains are about to be removed. Jesus are about to be tightened as he's taken away and flogged and crucified. Barabbas, of course, lives, uh, is free then to live another day. Jesus is killed so that we can live another day. Barabbas is freed at Christ's expense. But his story is also our story. I believe that instead of viewing Barabbas as a bit part, I can find real meaning in this story by viewing myself as in the Barabbas role. She's swapping places with Barabbas. I haven't murdered anyone. I'm not an insurrectionist. I wasn't caught up in a, in a melee, and I'm not a revolutionary in a Jewish group of people stirring up trouble, perhaps, for the authorities. But I also stand accused before God, the righteous judge. I also have blood on my hands in a different way. I also need a savior. And as we look at this story, I want you to imagine that Jesus is the one who's changing places with us, that we're like Barabbas. And that like Barabbas, Jesus is dying to take our place. You see, Jesus died and Barabbas went free. Jesus bore the punishment that should have been Barabbas's. And it's the same for us today. Barabbas' story shows me that no sin is too great. That Jesus is prepared to trade his privilege, his prestige, his position, his power, his fame, his comfort. He's prepared to trade his own life for mine. Because that's how much I'm worth to him. And you are too. And so today as we continue in our worship and celebrate communion in a few minutes time. I want you to be encouraged that there is one who trades places with the worst of sinners. He's prepared to trade places with the priests to show them how to be priests. He will one day trade places with the judge. But today, our focus is on him trading places with the sinner and offering life where there isn't any. Dom, I wonder if you could lead us again in a song. Thank you. Let's think about what Jesus has done for us, how he stepped into your place and mine. He didn't hold back. He came close. Do stand if you want to.